we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. And we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, we're going to be talking to Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World at 340 today. We got our RCST KU mailbag at 405, so hit us up with any last-second questions. Still time. At RCST. Ask, hey, ask Derek how his uh, how his life as a father is going. Yeah, you can, you can ask that if you want. At RCST1320 on Twitter X. You can DM us. You can reply to us. You can tweet us. You can also hit us up via email, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. We uh, will get to play more KU basketball talk. We got some audio to get to throughout the show as well. Uh, last night, a lot of action going down in the Big 12, and, and we continue to try to sift through what's going to be the number, how many is it going to take to win the Big 12, who are the teams that are truly in contention, because right now you have Texas Tech and Kansas State tied first in the Big 12, but are you really buying those two? You know, where does Houston, where does Baylor, Iowa State, I don't know, TCU, like where do some of these schools come into play in terms of how you view the conference and who can possibly win the league. Well, certainly Houston has been the team that you, you figure to be most entrenched in that along with Kansas at this point in time. And they kind of, it, it was a theme last night in a league so far that it's been very, very difficult to win on the road. Last night in the Big 12, that was not three the case. And one. Yeah, three and three one, and road one on the road. That's crazy. That is crazy. And the Houston game was the most notable because of the fact of what Houston is. Yeah. It was a game that, honestly, BYU very easily could have won. Now, Houston was in control of the game for, I would say, a majority of it. Yeah. And then BYU had a couple big runs where they would they would make things a little bit tighter, including toward the end of the game. BYU actually had it to a point where they had a wide-open three with their best three-point shooter, a guy that yeah. had Kevin Flaherty on yesterday, and he mentioned uh, the guy's name is Nell, Trevin being like Nell, yeah. the best three-point shooter in the conference and possibly the country. And he had a wide open three from the top of the arc to take the lead. Break! Just barely hit the back of the iron. So now you have BYU, who's a team who's ranked 10th on Ken Palm, who is just 2-4 and four in Big 12 play. And with Houston, they survive a big road tilt. And I think that becomes when, when you're looking at the chase, if it does come down to Houston and Kansas in the end, of who's going to end up winning the Big 12, you almost, at least this is my feeling on it, you see a team like Houston go on the road and earn a big road win. BYU is a good team, and that is a really difficult place to play. And I almost feel like, okay, if you're Kansas, you better match that. Now, I guess in theory you could say, well, Houston is 1-2 and two on the road in Big 12 play. Kansas is 1-2 and two on the road in Big 12 play. So no blood to this point in time. But that's three really difficult Big 12 road games that they have played. Iowa State, TCU, and BYU, whereas Kansas has played, they've gotten UCF and West Virginia in there. So the one and two records are, are not identical. Uh, basically, point being, yeah. I almost feel like winning at BYU for Houston there puts pressure on Kansas because Kansas doesn't play at BYU. And, and I know Houston did lose at Iowa State, so if Kansas loses on Saturday at Iowa State, you can say, well, Houston did it too. 
but because they won at BYU, it feels like Kansas has to fetch one on the road. Yeah, perfect sure. opportunity on Saturday. Absolutely, could not agree more. And when you look at the conference schedules for those two teams, Kansas and Houston, so Houston, listen, they their two road games, they lost them back to back. Yeah, right. They had two road games in one week. Kansas had two road games in one week also against West Virginia and Oklahoma State. They went 1-1. One one. Now, obviously, the co- the level of competition was a bit different, I guess, in the case of Kansas. You would have probably preferred to go 2-0 and o, considering the circumstances. But when you look at these two team schedules, both these teams, Kansas and Texas, or Kansas and Houston, excuse me, now have one other week throughout the rest of the Big 12 play where they go on the road in consecutive games. For Houston, it's coming up at the start of February. February 3rd, they're at, or excuse me, February. January 29th, they are at Texas, and then February 3rd, they're at Kansas. So back-to-back, two road two road games in, what, five days? Yeah. At that point. And, and against two really good opponents, Texas and Kansas. Kansas' tough road stretch where they have back-to-back games on the road comes a little later in February. February 12th, they're at Texas Tech, and February 17th, they're at Oklahoma. So th- those are kind of the two weeks that I'm keeping an eye on is be- both these teams have two stretches where they go one week of back-to-back road games within basically five days. What do they do in those stretches, right? I think it's easier to win on the road maybe when you have it's in between home games or you have home games coming up, right? Back-to-back road games in one week, especially against the level of competition they're going to be facing, that's kind of what I'm keeping an eye on going forward. And, again, with Kansas, the talk I think eventually will start to become, well, their schedule, they just kind of got screwed on the scheduling, right? Because their February onward looks brutal, for Houston, they do have a tough three-game stretch coming up. Kansas State at home, probably going to win that. At Texas and at Kansas, as I mentioned. But then they have Oklahoma State at home, at Cincinnati, Texas at home, and Iowa State at home in the next four-game stretch. That's much more manageable than what Kansas mm-hmm. has to deal with coming up. So there's no question that this upcoming stretch for KU, and it really starts with Iowa State. I know people will jump to that February 3rd mark where – Houston at Kansas State, Baylor at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, Texas, BYU, that stretch, right? But it really does kind of start with this Iowa State game because, to your point, because of the fact that you are now 1-2 and two in conference play on the road if you're Kansas, and by the way, you're 1-2 and two after playing, objectively, your three easiest road games, you're going to have to find a way to dig deep and get, get some back, right? Whether that's at Iowa State, at Kansas State, at Baylor, you're going to need to find a way to win a couple of those games. Yeah, the, and I guess the point. good news is that they've played down to their competition. They've played up to their competition. Like, uh, KU in the big games, UConn, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, outside of the Marquette game in the big games, Kansas has shown up. It's been the the other ones that they've had maybe more trouble in. But, yeah, I mean, if but the way— It will become more difficult to show up when you're playing, you know, your third game in 14 days sure. against another top-20 opponent. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be rugged and, and kind of wear on you. Um when I look to the number to possibly win the Big 12, I think the, uh, I guess your biggest competition, I, I agree it's Houston. I don't know if I'm willing to put anybody else in that same tier besides Houston and Kansas. And even then, I, I almost put Houston on a tier by themselves, followed by Kansas, till they, you know, maybe start getting things together a little bit more coming off these recent losses. Um, I wouldn't quite put put Baylor or Texas Tech or Kansas State or some of these schools in that same tier. I do think there's a lot of teams that could go, you know, 10 and 8, 11 and 7 or something in, in league play. But if I'm looking at Houston, they're 4 and 2 right now. 
I almost expect them to go undefeated at home. I mean, it's so hard to win on the road in the, the conference, especially when you're playing against one of the best teams in the country. Maybe they drop one on the road, but let's just say they go 6-0 at home, which, by the way, this is alarming to look at. You look at Ken Palm's projections. It has Houston beating Kansas uh, in the final game of the regular season, the one that's in Houston, yeah. by 12 points. <laughs> that's crazy. It hasn't beaten Allen Fieldhouse by six, which is very Houston interesting. Houston beating well. Kansas yeah, by six, six points. So let's say they is go that, six Is Allen Fieldhouse worth six points? Because if so, it doesn't matter. Might be that day. Who knows? Dude, it'll be, it'll Ken be Palm's projections up. are stupid anyways. Nick Palm says that they don't have nearly as good of a chance to be winning out on field house. Well, no, I, I've harped on this before, especially this year, that I, I do feel like it is a little bit annoying that, like, for instance, BYU is ranked 10th on Ken Palm. They ain't the 10th best team in the country. You get basically more credit for beating a team that you're supposed to beat by 20 for beating them by 30 than you do beating a team who you're projected to lose by one, beating by two, even if it's top 15 win, because it's all about the how you perform. So, like, there are some certain flaws yeah. you have to take into account. I mean, the perfect example is KU was, I think, like, close to 20. They go beat Oklahoma State by 24, and they jumped, like, eight spots. Right. <laughs> like, right. That, beating Oklahoma State no, by 24? Yes. That win was more valuable to KU than, like, beating UConn. Yeah. In, in is, terms of how it affected their... Yeah. Um, I guess adjusted EM. So yeah. yes, you do take it with a grain of salt. I, I just was I it was it was a little appalling to kind of see it to be honest. <laughs> but anyway, let's say they go six and zero at home. That gets them to ten wins. Would would Houston be at? And then you're looking at their last six road games, which is at Texas, at Kansas, at Cincinnati, at Baylor, at Oklahoma, and at UCF. What do we think their record is in those six games? I would say worst case two and four. Probably more like three and three or That's four. That's kind of what two. I was thinking. Which means the number to beat would be either thirteen and five or fourteen and four. So as yeah, much yeah, as so if they go three and three, they're thirteen and five. Right? Yeah, as yeah. much as even just yesterday we were talking about twelve or thirteen. As much as I don't know, I I certainly have started to to drift that way. I I'm starting to drift back. I'm starting to be like, okay, somebody's going to find their way to thirteen wins. You know, if it's Houston, if it's Kansas, yeah. And this Houston team is clearly different than what we've seen in the past from other teams that have been contending with mm -hmm. Kansas, right? Yeah, if you're You've talking like your best. Texas of the world that have slipped right. up, Baylor slipped up. Like is this are we like are we sure this Houston team is going to slip up? That's the thing. Like if we're if we're talking best Big 12 teams not named Kansas over the Bill Self era. I mean certainly there were some OU teams with Kelvin Sampson back in the kind of early mid 2000s that were really good. Same with Oklahoma State in like the mid 2000s. Uh, there were some Texas some teams Texas that were really teams good really in like good. the late 2000s. You had uh, a couple Oklahoma teams that have been great, whether it was the Blake Griffin one or the Buddy Heald one. Yeah, uh, that certainly were up there. You have the Baylor team that won a national title the year before. The Baylor team was really good. They were going to get a, a one seed in, in all likelihood. Other Baylor years they've gotten a one seed. Um, you think back to the Texas Tech team that went to the national championship game. I mean, there's there's a list of others that would be in contention for that. Certainly, this feels like this Houston team would be on that list, though. And when you're talking about regular season prowess, like some of those teams I mentioned, like the Buddy Heald Oklahoma one was a really good team, but that was a better postseason team than it was a regular season team. Uh, yeah, you know? that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of those teams that you just rattled off, a lot of them still had their slip ups in the regular mm -hmm. season. The question is, well, that happened to Houston, right? And obviously, the narrative with some of the with Houston, BYU, you know, you, I guess UCF not that good, Cincinnati not that good coming in is, well, how are you going to hold up in in the Big Twelve, right? Night in and night out, right? You know, you don't you don't get to play Temple. <laughs> no offense to Temple. Yeah. You don't get to play East Carolina. No offense to East Carolina. But the point being, instead of playing Temple, you're now playing Texas Tech or Iowa State or sub or you know, Oklahoma programs like that. And 
so far Houston has seemingly passed the test pretty well. I know it's I know we're only you know basically a third of the way through conference play now, but they've looked pretty good at this point. And so that becomes the question: Is can you? I feel like in the past you could bank on a team slipping up somewhere if you're Kansas. Can you bank on Houston losing a game that maybe they aren't supposed to? I almost feel like there will be. I feel like that happens for everyone. But, yeah, I think that, that was certainly the biggest result in the Big 12 last night. Elsewhere, we also got to see – this one I have well, less to talk about. But. Uh, sorry, one more thought I had on yeah. the BYU game against Houston is late in that game just goes to show, man, well, you play with fire when you're a three-point shooting team. You're tied at 68 at home, but because you don't have any sort of post play – you didn't have any sort of ability to get an easy shot or get a shot that you could draw a foul on. And what happened? They chucked up like four threes, bricked them all, and couldn't score, and they lose. Now, the three-point shooting is what also got you to that point where you're tied in the first place, I guess, for them. But playing with fire there. Yeah. Uh, UCF beat West Virginia. They blew them out. I was a little perturbed. I had an alt line of West Virginia plus 12.5 in a parlay. And it was and, an 11-point uh, game. That did not cover. It was an 11-point game with 12 seconds left in West Virginia fouled. Why? Did you see what happened? Uh, I guess when it, this would have been a couple days ago. Did you see what happened with uh, McNeese playing uh, Texas yeah. Corpus Christi? Uh-huh. <laughs> they were up two. They thought they were up three. So they fouled. Guy makes the first one. Misses the second one, but they get a put back and they win the game. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But yeah, it was rather annoying last night to see West Virginia only score 59 points. Oh, brutal. They did yeah. against Kansas. I mean, I could have told you that was going to happen, though. Well, they shot well from three. They just shot horribly from two and, and did nothing else. Although UCF does have a good defense. We saw that in the game against Kansas. Uh, Texas smacked Oklahoma in Norman. It, it felt like to me that there was literally about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, this I mean, we talked about it with Graham Dorian. Like, the non-con was not good. They did not have a good resume. And there was this thought Oklahoma or Texas? Texas. Oh, That Texas might be on the wrong side of the bubble. That Texas might not be an NCAA tournament team. Yes. And since that conversation, because they started 1-3 and in Big 12 play, didn't have a big resume win in um, non-con play, earned a huge two-point victory over Baylor last Saturday, and then last night they crushed Oklahoma and Norman 75-60. I feel like they're starting to find their footing, and and I think there's a real correlation between Dylan DeSue working his way back into the, the the lineup from being injured because we saw at the end of last season it was oh, basically was, from like he the, went insane. Yes, the last week of the regular season, Big into Twelve the tournament into the postseason, then he got hurt and he didn't play in the Elite Eight. Um, but he was averaging like 15, 20 points per game, like yeah. every night. He was going crazy. And so the, he was injured to start this year. Now that he's back, like I look at that starting five for Texas, and I'm like, you have. One of the better starting fives in the conference. I, I'm not going to say it's you know one of the best, but I, I think it's probably top five. Tyrese Hunter, Max A. Smith, that's a good backcourt. You have Dylan Mitchell, who's super athletic, Dylan now, and then you have even Ithiel Horton, who's a good three-point shooter, or Brock Cunningham, kind of glue guy, or Caden Shedrick, depending how you want to go about your starting lineups. It's a, it's a good seven-man rotation. I think Texas sure. is kind of back to being one of the top five or six teams in the Big 12. I don't think there's ever been any question about the talent level that Texas has. It was always the coaching situation with Rodney Terry, right? It was, okay, last season you had probably one of the most talented teams in the country that maybe kind of carried you to the Elite Eight. Now, okay, try to prove it again this season. And they have another talented roster again this season, probably not as talented as last season, but they still have another talented roster again. And so, again, the question becomes, 
with Rodney Terry, what how far can you take this team from a coaching standpoint? Because again, I don't think there's any question that they have the talent. Yeah. Right? No, they they absolutely should be uh, a really good team. The last result was TCU, who had a second half comeback and earned a victory there after being down at halftime on the road. I I feel like TCU is is still very similar to where they were the last two years, where oh, like yeah. they're going to be inconsistent. They're going to lose some games. Athletic team. They're going to run transition. But I'll say this: when TCU is rolling, whether it was that second half last night. Or we've seen them play really well in Allen Fieldhouse the last two few years. When they are yeah. rolling, when they're on their A game, it is one of the five best A games in the conference. Yeah, when they can just run around and be athletes, because that's <laughs> what they are. They're just a bunch of, just a bunch of athletes yeah. that happen to play basketball. Uh, they're very, very dangerous. They're very, very dangerous. Kansas certainly learned that the hard way last season, and they learned it again in their game that they played earlier this season. Where, yeah, if you try to have a track meet with them, you're probably going to lose or come close to losing. Which Kansas did very come very close to losing, and they you know they got the help from a flagrant foul call that really helped them late. But but yeah, I think TCU to your point, this is kind of what they are. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I don't know is that would you want to be that? Would you want to be a team that's just super athletic and at your ceiling you could be like a, one of the top teams in the country, but then you have sometimes you just have games where you shoot like where you're just potatoes and you can't hit anything. <laughs> I mean, do you want that? Um, it would certainly be very frustrating as a fan because you would have that tantalizing ceiling. That's what I'm saying. You know, it'd be like you watch it. a game and you'd be like, "Dude, this is the best team ever." Well, I guess that's in, like, the, the, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is a team who beats up on all the bad teams but can never beat the good teams. Could be. Which would you rather have? I think I'd still rather have the TCU one in that situation. At so least give at me least hope. The possibility of winning a big game. Exactly. At least give me hope that we can win a big game. That we can yeah. have that awesome memory. It is. It's just really hard to kind of think about that because obviously, from the Kansas perspective, you want to win all of them. Yeah. You, yeah. The expectation is you win every game, and <laughs> you know it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. So to sit back and think, man, if I were a fan of another team that didn't just win every game, what would I want? Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely kind of an interesting thing. It, it probably applies more for other sports, to be completely honest. Uh, as far as tonight's ledger. We get Kansas State at Ledger. Iowa State. I like that word, Ledger. Yeah. And by the way, I just realized Texas Tech only has one game this week. Is that normal? Uh, Is everybody going to have a week where they have one game? That's let's weird. See. Does Kansas have that? Because, yeah, they're not playing till Saturday. Yeah, I mean, technically, I guess this would. Oh, I see what you're saying. Maybe that's the result of there no, being no more Big 12 SEC challenge. Yeah, Kansas yeah, I mean, does have a one-game week later in the year. Where? I'm looking at this. February oh, okay, 24th. I see, I see, I see, I see, yeah. Okay. So they play Oklahoma on the 17th, and then they play Texas on the 24th. That is good to know. So there's uh, not every week is a two-game week. Nonetheless, um, I think that'll be an interesting barometer. One, K-State is tied first in the Big 12. K-State wins at Iowa State. I will start taking them seriously as a Big 12 title contender. At that point, they'd be 5-1, and one, mm. win at Iowa State. They are like seven-point underdogs, though. Yeah. I mean, K-State's an interesting team for sure. They went through a lot of turmoil, obviously, in the last month with the Naquan Tomlin stuff. Uh, they also got another transfer, uh, one of their guards, Quez Glover, who hasn't even played at all this season. I don't know if he's going to play at all. Uh, so that's put a lot more pressure on Tyler Perry to be good for them. But Arthur Kaluma is a good player, right? I mean, he's a guy that I think, if if Kevin McCullough doesn't come back, Arthur Kluma probably would have been one of the guys you really wanted if you're Kansas. Uh, and he's he's played pretty well. So, I don't know. I mean, as you know, I don't want to give too much respect to those clowns. But 
they look better than but I no, think, I, I what think I thought they were. you're big be. time rooting for Iowa State tonight. A couple of reasons. One, um, if K-State wins that, it shows they're a Big 12 title contender. Two, you do not want to be, have to be playing Iowa State coming off a home loss in their second straight home game. That does not bode well for Saturday. Yeah, so. yeah that would not be fun. You know who to root for tonight, I yeah. guess. Well, uh, I mean, who to root for anyways. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right, Although, and, I don't know. Iowa State fans are annoying. Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, going to join us in about 15 minutes. Right now, this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry, thanks for hopping on today. As always, on a Wednesday, Johnny Furphy just had an excellent performance in his most recent outing against Cincinnati, coming up with a double-double, leading Kansas in scoring and rebounding. How much does what he did on Monday affect the way maybe you view this team moving forward through the rest of Big 12 play? Oh, I mean, substantially. I, I, I think that, you know, when, when Johnny started having games where he was having 13 points and seven rebounds or whatever, it's like, oh, my gosh, if they have this production, they've got their fifth starter, everything's great. Even if they don't have a bench, it doesn't matter that much. You know, this team will be a contender. But for him to, to uh, follow that up by immediately going for 23 and 11 is on a whole different plane. And I think uh, what was best about Johnny's performance on Monday, really, was the rebounding contribution uh, for a team that suddenly seems to be having issues in that department where previously there were none. But, you know, I think this was something maybe Brian said on, on the radio broadcast, or maybe it was Greg Gurley, but like he goes after every ball like he thinks that he should have it. I think that's a great description. He's, he's totally relentless when it comes to these loose balls and rebounds, and it's a great way to endear yourself to your teammates and coaches, which I think probably goes along with the idea that people like playing with him. Okay, which of these three players, I guess playing well, uh, or playing close to their ceiling, whatever that is this year, do you think has a bigger impact positively, or I, I don't know, either side of it, uh, for KU the rest of the season? Is it Furphy? Is it one of Elmarco Jackson, Nick Timberlake off the bench, or is it Dewan Harris? That's interesting because I wasn't expecting Dewan to be thrown in there. Um, I'm going to go with the thing that I keep saying and I continue to say in this show since the beginning, which is Elmarco Jackson, especially if you now have Furphy playing at a reasonably high level and he can do that fairly consistently. I mean, you just need, like, one guy off the bench who's really good. I mean, against UConn, they only really played six guys. And if Elmarco can – if he can attack off the dribble, which he hasn't really done, if he can continue to defend well, um, if he can have the ball in his hands and even play a little bit of point guard to give some rest to Dewan, who has been really just, like, insanely overtaxed, which I think might be part of the issue he's experiencing. I don't know. Um, if Marco can play anything close to his ceiling, and this is what Bill Selzman saying at the beginning, that will will elevate KU to an entirely new level. Yeah, and I, I think it's just kind of interesting when when you look at that bench, and you know, typically teams don't have super deep benches in the postseason, but I also think the postseason and regular season is kind of two different things in in terms of how you go about it. I, I think depth maybe matters more in the regular season than the postseason, but. Uh, when you look at El Marco and Timberlake, it, it sounds like you were leaning more El Marco here. If I were to say that one of those two were to, I guess, give you that solid production night in, night out off the bench, you would lean toward El Marco being the more obvious candidate? 
I would because I think El Marco has a chance to be a higher a higher ceiling defender than Nick Timberlake, and I think Furphy isn't super advanced as a defender at this point. I mean, uh, he 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 has some advantages on that side of the ball, like his length, clearly, and the hustle that I talked about. But I mean, we've seen this in several games, most notably against Cincinnati, against Oklahoma, and even against Missouri, which is. When a guy gets a one-on-one matchup against Johnny Furphy, he's going to drive to the basket, and it usually works out pretty well for him. So basically, I think you really want your bench to be able to spell him on defense and then create a tighter defensive unit where there really isn't that one guy that you think you can go after. And of course, you know, that's not to say Furphy's bad on defense. It's just when, when your other options are attacking off the perimeter, people like DeWan Harris and Kevin McCuller, Obviously, the guards are going to go after Furphy, but I think El Marco has the potential to uh, kind of make it so there isn't any weak link in that chain. So, and, and I think we maybe even saw, I can't remember which game it was, but in one of the games recently, uh, Self put El Marco in for some minutes at the end of the game, and I think that was from a defensive perspective. So I think that's one way in which he can continue to ensure that he gets a sizable chunk of minutes. <laughs> When we look at the bench struggles, what specifically about those bench struggles do you think is most problematic? Is it the lack of scoring? Is it the lack of having players that you feel like can be there in case of foul trouble? Is it just the lack of depth if guys are getting hurt and banged up, which we have kind of seen recently, even though you know they're playing through it? Guys like Kevin McCuller and, and Hunter Dickinson having uh, bumps and bruises on their knee or whatever it is. Like, What specifically about the bench not performing right now do you think is going to be most problematic for KU over the last two months if they can't get it figured out? Well, I think a couple of the factors you mentioned are really important. I mean, for one thing, you know, when you only have nine scholarship players, you can't, I, like, like Self had the game where he subbed out three players in the span of a minute and a half. Like, that doesn't seem like super long-term productive for those guys' production because it's not like you have another three guys sitting on the bench that are getting that time instead. Instead, you're just having your stars out on the floor for a longer period of time. So I think, yeah, I, I think obviously the – the number thing is a basic constraint and one they have been dealing with and one you deal with all year. But beyond that, I mean, I think the, the offense is not great when KU does not have both Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson in the game at a given time. Um, I think Kevin McCuller being on the floor is probably marginally more important than Hunter Dickinson at any given moment. But I think that uh, the coaching staff has been urging Parker Brown to be more aggressive, and I don't think that that's really been borne out in his play on offense so far. I mean, he had, he had a pretty sizable amount of playing time in, in the game the other day and only took one shot and got blocked by Ziz Mendego pretty resoundingly. Um, I think you have to have him be – I think he does a good job defensively and in terms of rebounding to some extent. But I do think you have to have him be at least something of a threat in the middle uh, so that teams have to take him a bit more seriously as a fifth option when Hunter is in foul trouble. Do you think if if Bill Self could put on you know hindsight twenty twenty goggles, do you think he would go? But which of these two things do you think he would go back and change? If if either of them, would he? Do you think add another player in the off season to give them one extra shot at more depth, or do you think they would start Johnny Furphy earlier and maybe be able to I don't know work through some more of of their current roles? I guess. Well, I think they're ultimately positioned pretty well for the future based on the fact that they're not uh, using up as many scholarships because they still have that restriction. You know, we don't know for sure yet 
at least I don't think it's been reported, whether Arterio Morris's scholarship counts against that, that cap where they have to be three under across three years. If it does, then they've made two scholarships worth of progress this year. If it doesn't, then they've knocked out the whole thing. Um, so we'll have to check in on that. But, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, with having Zach Clemens take up one of those spots, yeah, I, I think I'd probably choose the, the former option going after another player, even despite that. Can you, can you remind me of what the second option you, you asked Yeah, about just starting Furphy earlier in the idea of, oh, yeah. you know, maybe he's even better now. Maybe he scores 30 points on Monday. I don't know. No, I think the reason why Furphy didn't start earlier, well, I think the reasons are twofold. One of them self has said, and one of them I'm kind of inferring. He said at the press conference on Monday that the fact that he sort of missed that time over Christmas where he had to go back to Australia for that family matter kind of delayed the onset of his starting. Maybe they wanted him to start beginning at the start of Big 12 play. I'm not sure. I also think the shin splints might have played a role in it because you'll remember at the beginning of the season, Self was talking about how he might have been falling behind a little bit because he had missed time due to the shin splits. So I think if neither of those two things were in place, maybe he could have started a lot earlier, potentially even at the beginning of the season. Um, but I, I, I think that those were substantial enough factors that in a vacuum, like it wouldn't really make sense for Self to have started him from the beginning because he, he ended up missing time for those two reasons. Kansas takes on Iowa State on Saturday, and Iowa State has – a very tough home court environment names. They also have one of the best defenses in the country, and uh, certainly they have some really talented players that, that fill out the roster. What to you sticks out about that matchup between the Jayhawks and the Cyclones coming up this weekend? Well, certainly the thing I alluded to earlier with guards wanting to attack Furphy off the dribble will come into play with the likes of uh, Lipsy and, and Gilbert and those guys. Um, I think that they need to <laughs> get as close to the two turnover game as they possibly can. I think this is going to be an aggressive and ball hawking defense in a way that they really haven't quite experienced yet. I mean, you know, they, they played teams in TCU and UCF who, who did a pretty good job, especially TCU, generally speaking, in forcing turnovers. But Iowa State's on another level, and this will be a super valuable experience because they still have two games with Houston coming up. But yeah, Iowa State and Houston as defenses are on an entirely different plane, I believe, from anyone else that KU will face this year. Um, but I think that KU will be prepared with these extra days of rest. You know, Iowa State's playing the game tonight. KU played on Monday. That might give them a little bit of an advantage, especially with those injuries you alluded to. And as Self mentioned on Hawk Talk yesterday, uh, Hilton Magic is a thing, but I they haven't – KU hasn't really had – quite as much trouble playing there. I believe Self is 13-6, and six, something along those lines, um, and they've had some good teams. So I think that there are certain advantages that KU may have going into this game, but they're going to have to play a really tight offensive game, and I would pay particular attention to Dewan Harris um, and whether he can have a turnover-free game like he did in the couple before Monday as opposed to what he did on Monday, which is one of his sloppiest showings of the season. Is it crazy to, to say this is I, – I don't want to use the term must win because I think that gets overblown and everything. But, like, is this as close as there is to a must-win game in a seventh game of an 18-game schedule just because of KU's already two previous road losses in the Big 12 that they're sitting 4-2, and two, that a loss here would make them 4-3 and three, knowing the 10 games that they have to finish the regular season once the calendar flips to February? That's a tough question. I – I, I think I would stop short of labeling this one a must-win because 
you take it for granted. It's a road game in a tough environment. I think that you have some faith that, that you'll make maybe make it up with just being more consistent uh, in later road games. So maybe it's not technically a must win, but yeah, you don't want to drop to four and three. I think it's, I think this will be a huge one for them to sort of reassert that they need to be feared by opposing crowds. And obviously it's not going to get any easier in those future road games I mentioned. I mean, you got K-State, Texas Tech, Baylor, Houston. Just, just there, There's no respite coming up. So, yeah, they're going to have to nab a couple of those. So, I, I, yeah, I guess if you take those all as a unit, I would say that, like, Maybe three of them are must win or two or three, but I don't know exactly which ones I would classify thereof just yet. Yeah, and I guess if you look at those next five at Iowa State versus Oklahoma State versus Houston at Kansas State and versus Baylor, I mean, what is th- is three and two in that in that five game stretch? Is that doable? Do you think to win the Big Twelve? Or at that point, I guess you'd have four losses, which would not leave you with much margin for error if there's thirteen or fourteen wins to win the Big Twelve. So. I, I don't know. I, I keep looking at the math as part of this, and I'm like, uh, you're going to have to win you know, some of these road games against really good teams since you lost at West Virginia and UCF. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really even have a question here. It's just more so of the idea of how insane the Big 12 is that it feels yeah. like to me this game is one that it really would behoove you if you win it on the road because otherwise you start to talk about, hey, if 14-4 and four wins the league, that means you got to go 10-1 and one to finish. If 13-5 and five wins the league, you got to go 9-2. and two. And with as difficult of a schedule that is, I don't know how realistic that is. No, I, I think your head's in the right place. And, yeah, I, we've been talking talk about how anyone can beat anyone in the Big 12, but at a certain point, you have to start beating someone. Um, I, I, I think that uh, the UCF and West Virginia games really put them in a bad mathematical situation. Um, but I think that the overall attitude of take care of business at home and steal a few on the road will continue to be the way that, that KU and also outsiders look at each of these individual games, even though from a macro standpoint, it, it, it does look kind of unfavorable, especially with how formidable some of the top teams are this year. Nonetheless, I think that we may have fewer wins necessary to, uh, get at least a share of the crowd than we have in previous years based on how things are going. Well, we have a different KU-Iowa State matchup tonight. That's the women's basketball game. You can hear that on KLWN tonight at 630. Uh, KU women's team is sitting at just 9-9 nine and nine so far this season. There was a lot of expectation, a lot of hype before the season got started. What do you think has gone wrong? Like, Why, why do you think the record is worse than we ever could have expected before the year began? Yeah, it's really hard to pinpoint one thing. I mean, just a few things that come to mind as sort of an external observer. Uh, one of them would be foul trouble. They've had a few games where Tyana Jackson gets in foul trouble early and they haven't really shown that they can funk until uh, the Kansas State game where she, she left with an injury and they actually played well without her out. Maybe that was a good sign for the future. But other than that, they haven't really shown a great ability to sustain themselves when she's out. Um, I would say inconsistency they haven't always gotten top-notch scoring performances or even middling scoring performances from all of their best offensive players at one time and i think the bench has not been quite as i mean people had a lot of questions about the bench but i think there was a time where it sort of became the consensus that oh maybe the bench will actually be pretty good but the bench hasn't always been that great and i i uh 
I, I think all those elements combined. Again, I have not been on the ground in most of these games, so I've been watching it from an external perspective. But those all seem to be pretty key elements to me in what has been a rather underwhelming showing for a team that should have everything going for it. Uh, some KU football players are going to be playing in the East-West Shrine Bowl. Jason Bean getting the invite now. I think Kenny Logan's already going there. Hey, here's a fun one. Who do you think has a longer pro career, Jason Bean or Kenny Logan? Oh, gosh. Well, if you're saying pro, then, then uh, we, we can technically include yes. the, uh, the newly minted UFL and yeah. CFL and all that. I, that's a really tough question. I'm kind of... I'm kind of inclined to say Jason Bean. I feel like in the CFL and places like that, I think I don't know why. I just keep thinking of Cody Fajardo, okay. quarterback from Nevada a little while ago, who he kind of carved out a career in the CFL by being like a short yardage guy. They would just give him like designed runs, and then eventually he became like a real quarterback. I don't know. There's a chance Bean might be able to do that. I kind of feel like the CFL is the best option for guys outside of the NFL because I don't know that this UFL thing is going to actually be sustainable. It seems everything on its side. Uh, that's not to say that Kenny Logan doesn't have a chance. I just wonder if there's maybe more demand for American quarterbacks than there is in the CFL for American safeties. I don't know. Just a, just a theory. Um, on the other hand, Kenny Logan certainly has a skill set to uh, make an impact. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on at least a practice squad this NFL season. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Getting a Shrine Bowl invite is is a pretty big deal. I mean, second of the Senior Bowl, that's about as good as it gets. Certainly a higher level than the Hula Bowl, where Bean didn't really get to do much. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, I have a crossover question to you with football, too. At this point in time, this goes back into our idea of the, the math conversation, I guess. Who do you think has a better chance of winning the Big 12? KU basketball this season or KU football in 2024? I'm gonna, I, I got to go with KU basketball this season. I, just based on track record. Um, you know, at last year, Kansas lost three games in a row, and it still was massively successful. I, 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 I think that just based on what self has accomplished in the past and the pure talent level of the players on this roster, you can't count them out, and they're really not far out of the conference lead. They don't need too much to go their way. They just need to go on a hot streak at the right time. With KU football, straight up winning the Big 12 requires a lot of good things to happen. I understand that people are already talking about it as a possibility, but there are some seriously tough teams they're going to have to contend with, and uh, as we saw this year, you can't really take a game against a lesser team, even at home, as a win for granted for KU. And I'm, I, I don't think that fans would, just based on the history of KU football. But I don't, I don't see their chances of winning a conference championship as nearly as likely as a team that has done that like 85% of the time in recent history. He's Henry Greenstein. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world and at KUSports.com. Henry, appreciate the time, man, and have a great rest of your week. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal world, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. We got our KU RCST mailbag next with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 
Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got some Chiefs audio and conversation coming up later this hour. Get to our KU Basketball Cincinnati Heroes and Villains segment coming up in the five o'clock hour. Some more KU Basketball audio. But first, it's time for Nick's favorite segment of the week. We got our KU RCS team mailbag. Woo! The mail is open. You know you know the mailboxes that uh, have the little red like flag thing on the side? Yeah, to let you know that you have mail. Yeah. Is it supposed to go up when you have mail or down when you have mail? Up when you have mail. Up when you have mail and down when you have mail going out? Or just down, like you when you check your mail, you just push it down, I think. Gotcha. And then they let you know. And then if you don't, you know, then like the next day you don't get any letters. You don't check it. Exactly. Exactly. That's been taken away by the new age of mailboxes, which are just like these. Where it's like the thing where it's like mailboxes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that's that's my parents have at their house. They have like, they they live in like a cul-de-sac. Yeah, and it's just, no, that's there's just at the end of it. There's just one giant box, which I get. It probably makes the mailman's job a lot easier than having to literally stop at every single house. Sure, I yeah. get it. No, yeah, it's it's, it's understandable. But it takes away a little bit of the lure. Yeah, could be. Let's but, get you know, I think, flags. But you know, there was that? some people. There was some times where you know, with those mailboxes, people would like break them and things like that. It's true. There's one a lot of giant pranks. box. A lot of pranks involved. Yeah. All right, first question here for our mailbag from Bob: Would you take KU getting swept by Kansas State? If it meant sweeping Houston. Jeez, Bob, what are we doing here, <laughs> dude? I mean, come on. No, okay. My honest answer here, no. I'm not doing it. Because it nothing else, you gotta you gotta get into the mind. Get into the mind of a K-State fan here for a second. Nothing else would matter. KU could win the Big 12 by, like, three games, okay? It wouldn't matter if two of their losses were Kansas State. It wouldn't matter. They would, they, Kansas State, would they would be dropping a banner themselves for Big 12 title. They'd say that they won. <laughs> it would be, it'd be so annoying. Like, it's not, it, like, getting swept by Kansas State in and of itself is not, like, I wouldn't really care that much. What I would care about is the fact that it would just be, it would just be so annoying, dude. Like, so annoying. By the way, quick aside, uh, our producer Joel has just told us the flag goes up on the mailbox for when you have outgoing mail to send. So the oh, mail carrier knows. So I was just totally wrong. House. Yes. Wow. Okay. It sounded good. Well, screw me. I'm very confident. Anyway, man, this is tough because, okay, there's a couple ways of looking at this. You're 100% right. It would be very yeah, It'd be horrible. It'd be very frustrating. It would suck. And at the end of the day... College sport, there, there's only so many teams who are going to make a Final Four, win a national championship, and, or win a conference championship in, in college sports. One of the big beauties of college sports is the regional rivalry aspect, and yes, having that over exactly. your opposition. I was going to say the same mean? thing. Like in in the in the era of conference realignment and all that BS, it almost takes your rivalries with your teams that you still play regularly, like to another level, because you don't. It's it's being taken away, but you it's still have rare. that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that absolutely does matter. If you're viewing it from a standpoint of like NCAA tournament resume, you know, beating K State twice, those are probably well, 
two solid wins. One might be quad one. One would be well, quad two. Let me let me also just put it this way. Uh-huh. So you're playing K State twice. You're playing Houston twice. I don't think it's unreasonable that you could go three and one in that scenario between those four games. But in this scenario, if you're saying you're going to be take sweeping Houston, that means you're guaranteeing yourself two losses. No, I think. In it, which case, I think you could get actually three wins. I think this scenario is. Wait. Hmm. Would you take KU getting swept by K State? Okay. So, I, so, I, so I you're saying. So you're saying you're guaranteeing yourself to lose two games. Sure. Whereas I think it's feasible that Kansas could easily go three and one. And one. And split with Houston. Yeah, either win on the road in Houston or win on the road in K-State anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that absolutely is a possibility. I I do think it's interesting that, like, if you beat Houston twice, though, here's, here's the crux of this. If you beat Houston twice, that is such a resume boost for the NCAA tournament one. Two... It would almost be hard not to win the Big 12. Because think about it. Houston at this point has two losses. It's not just that you beating them twice gives you two wins closer to the ultimate goal of whatever number that is. It's that it puts Houston automatically at four losses. Which means realistically they're probably winning another or losing another two games maybe on top of that. And it makes your job a lot easier to win the league. Could be. But you're also giving yourself two losses by losing two games at Kansas State. Sure. If you pick that way. That's a good point. So you're down to four losses too. Yeah, I, I think I take the... I, I don't take it. I, I don't, I don't take, it take the getting swept by You can go three and one mm-hmm. in those four games, I think. And I just wouldn't. No, I don't want that. Well, and even in a scenario where let's say you do beat K-State twice and lose to Houston twice. At the end of the day, if Houston beats you twice and they end up winning the Big 12, you're not going to look back on it and be like, oh, you lost to Houston twice. Like, they suck. They're, you're going to be like, oh, that's just a really, really good team. Yeah, you're going to look back and say you lost to a team that's a one seed. Yeah, exactly. Might be the number one overall at that point in time. This one from Ralph. You can choose one home, one road, and one alternate KU basketball jersey for the rest of time. Go. Okay, so you and I were approaching this question a little differently, I think, when we talked about it briefly Mm -hmm. before the show. So, is it the question is you take, you basically have three jersey options that you're locked in with from that point going forward. So, I think my home jersey. I kind of would want either the cream jerseys or the sunflower jerseys for my home uniform. Okay. Right? What do you think of that? I You can give yours. You I know you have a, you have a strong so, okay. opinion on. Okay. Here's here's the thing with the sunflower ones. I love the sunflower ones. I think they're awesome. Would, so you want those to be your But alternates. I don't I think they would be way less awesome if you used them every time. So you want alternate. I think the sun, no, I'm not even using the sunflower as the alternate because oh. I, I think the sunflower I I still want my alternate to be something that I can wear 5 to 10 times in a season. You don't, you don't even think you can wear sunflower five to ten times? I in think a you use it once or twice. It's a little gimmicky. You think it's, it's gimmicky? It's cool for a gimmick. It's you're cool at, for a gimmick. You, you're, it, it's Kansas. I understand the sunflower, that. The state flower of Kansas is sunflower. I understand that. What's gimmicky about that? I think there's a little gimmick. You know, Kansas' birthday is coming up. I really up, like And all you're doing is crapping all over Kansas. I do, but it's like... Kansas's birthday is next week, and no, you're just man, crapping all over like Kansas. It's like chocolate mousse. It's like chocolate... Chocolate mousse is delicious. What? Chocolate mousse is a fantastic dessert. I don't even think... No. But I'm a, not getting chocolate mousse every night for dessert. You know? I don't agree with that analogy. It's too rich. I don't agree with that analogy at all. I don't agree with that analogy at all. Anyway, wait, wait so what's your what's your other one that you said? I don't, for cream, home? The cream jerseys I like for home. Okay. Or I could just go with the regular old white jerseys for home. Mm-hmm. Right? Nothing wrong with that. It's classic. It's traditional. Okay. I don't know. What about you for home jerseys? All right. So here's the thing. KU, when you say what are KU's colors, your first response is... Crimson and blue. Crimson and blue. So why not make one crimson and one of them blue? Now like I understand. for home and road. Yeah. And I okay. understand there's going to be certain situations where, you know, what if you're... 
I, I guess I would choose the the blue for the homes. So if I'm, I'm going to pick one blue specifically, let's go with the blue with the circus font. Okay, nice. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty elite. Okay. And then for the road ones, we're going to go with the red ones, the crimson ones. Sure. Those yeah. will be the roads. Now, yeah. if you're playing, like, say, at Oklahoma or something like that, and they want to wear their reds, that's when you use your alternate. So for my alternate, I'm going to choose a white uniform. Because if you okay. happen to be playing a team who you need to wear whites... You can use your alternate for that. You can use your alternate at home when you just you know, want to change things up. You know up. what uniform, what alternate uniform is white? Sunflower uniforms. Yeah. I'll let you get as much out of it, though. Like I said. Okay, fine. Fine, sure. Uh, okay, listen. We talked about this earlier. See, I don't know which white one I want to use. The women's basketball team literally just unveiled some baby blues. Mm. Would you rock baby blues as your alternate? Very cool, but no. I think the white one that I'm going to use would either be the one with the cursive Jayhawks across the chest. I like that one a lot, yeah. I could just go Circus Font again. Circus Font's nice. So the gray ones are kind of cool. With I'm the a big stripes. fan of Cursive Jayhawks, though. Yeah. Like, Cursive Jayhawks might be my home uniform. I want to be wearing that at home. It'll be up there. There's a lot of good uniforms, though. A lot more yeah. than I... Yeah, for sure. I like yeah. that question, though. Uh, this one from Trent. If guaranteed losing to Iowa State gave the Chiefs an extra 10 points on Sunday, would you take it? Now keep in mind, they, you know, you might be listening to this at home and going, "I'm not even a Chiefs fan." So it's like, if you're speaking, Nick, on behalf of everybody, you do have to take into account. There's going to be some people who are like, "I don't care. Give me the Iowa State win," you know. But would you do? Well, what listen, would you do? Well, let's let's take a timeout for a second. Okay. Nowhere in this question does it say that if you choose the Chiefs extra ten, or nowhere nowhere does it say in this question that if you, uh, if you don't choose it, that it's you're guaranteed to win the Iowa State game. It just says you're guaranteed to lose. Yeah, correct. So you're basically turning down 10 extra points for a chance to maybe win. Yes. You might win. Yes. <laughs> you still could lose. <laughs> but then again, the Chiefs really, could still win without the 10 points. No, they could. 10 points is a lot of points. Though. It is. If you, if I mean, you I started the Chiefs. Chiefs up 10 nothing, you'd I mean, be I would, disappointed if they lost, I would right? Take, I would take the Chiefs 10 points. I probably would. Yeah. You'd take the Iowa State loss and take the 10? I would take the 10, yeah. Mm. I mean... I, you know, I love KU, obviously, went to KU, and bleep crimson and blue, but man, dude, I also love the Chiefs. AFC yeah, really championship game, a little higher stakes yeah, than a regular also, season January game. Yeah, I also game. really want the Chiefs to win. Yeah. But see, you're, you've are you seemed very confident that the Chiefs are going to beat the Ravens, so. Well, you got to understand the arc of how I live my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sunday night, I'm thinking the Chiefs have already won the Super Bowl. There's mm-hmm. no way they're possibly losing again. Monday, same thought. Tuesday, we might lose. Today, we could lose. Thursday, we're probably going to lose. Friday, this sucks. We're going to lose. But then by Saturday, it's back to we're going to win. And then Sunday, we're going to win. So today, we're on the fence. Today, we might lose. This one from Dale. So are you taking the points? Um, I'm taking the points. No, I'm not taking the points. Okay. Because I, I do think that even though the Ravens are favored... It's basically a coin flip game, you know, and do you think the KU Iowa State you can win without it? Hypothetically, yeah, I think that's a coin flip game too. Okay, this one from Dale: better chance to win it all this year's Kansas or next year's Kansas? I assume this is basketball. basketball? Yeah, men's basketball. Well, this one I was thinking about is actually a very interesting question. Yes, but there's a lot of things. There's a lot of dependent factors here. Mm-hmm. You have the Hunter Dickinson situation about him possibly coming back. So if you look at right now, 
You're going to have Dewan Harris, KJ Adams. Mm-hmm. We're, I think, if you want to assume Johnny Furphy's back, I think that's a safe I, I would right now, yeah. So you're going to have KJ Adams, Dewan Johnny Harris. Furphy has Johnny to be Furphy. National Player of the Year next year. So. And what'd you say? He's going to be National Player of the Year next year. Who? So. Furphy? Furphy, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Edie yeah. will be gone, taking away that roadblock. <laughs> Boom. Furphy, yeah. Well, what if Dickerson comes back? Then is he National no, Player? No, still of the Furphy. Year? Still Furphy. <laughs> so you're going to have those three guys back. Mm-hmm. Kevin's At this stage, gone. you would think El Marco would yeah, be you would think so. back, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I would think. Mm-hmm. Timberlake gone. You're gonna, so you're going to lose Brown Timberlake. Gone. You're going to lose McCuller. You're going to have Jamar McDowell still, probably. You're going to have Zach Clements. Yeah, the ultimate disclaimer here is you never know what's going to happen with anything. No, with I know. The with the transfer portal, portal yeah. yeah. transfer portal certainly adds a layer of a layer. And then you have your, your complexity coming in, this. right? Which seems to be a good class. Flory Badunga, uh, LeBaron Phylon, mm-hmm. who seems like he might be uh, sort of the Dewan Harrison waiting. There was some uh, some reading some stuff about him about how he seems to be embracing more of a facilitator role uh, at I don't remember what I don't remember what academy he's at, but he's at he's doing something. Um, he is doing something. <laughs> there's a couple guys still floating out out there that yeah, KU is after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got past more. And then I'm, uh, I'm sure they'll hit up the transfer portal, you know, for somebody. Yeah. I guess I guess this comes down to, like, how confident are you that KU could win it this year? It's a lot easier to pick next year from the standpoint of... I know. I know. It, it it's like it's the box. The, I know. It could be anything. Pandora's box. You know? Yes. Whereas so that's right what I'm now you're looking at it so and I you're think like, ah, they're 4-2 I think and we have Big to approach play. this question from the standpoint of right. how confident are you they can win it this year? And that should then, that could then inform what you sure. think about next season. So, like, this season, it's going to be tough, right? Yeah. When you start to look around college basketball, this open. is actually a good season of college basketball. Right. There's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of teams that you when you start to look at kind of regionality, I mean, you look at, like, a, a you got Purdue, UConn, Marquette. Tennessee looks really good. Yeah, North Carolina's been really good. Arizona's been really good. You know, there's a lot of there's, – there's a really, really good group of 8 to 10 teams right now that you feel like are pretty good teams. And Kansas For is certainly sure. in that conversation as well. But the more good teams you have, that I would think decreases the chances that you th- have your confidence of winning the national title. Maybe, but also I feel like there's no great teams. And I we say that a lot in college basketball. We've said it a lot lately, but I think it's the truth about what's happened with the transfer portal and the fifth-year players and everything, that it's just dispersed talent. Yeah, the talent spread seen. is much – yeah. Here's the thing. When, when you talk about next year – what are some of the, the issues, I guess, so to speak, about this year's team? One of the ones that I think of is depth. just the space. Yeah, depth is one of them. Another one is the the spacing, so to speak, right? Okay. I don't think that's going to go away because all Probably the spacing not. that you have is basically from, hey, you're basically playing two bigs with KJ next to Hunter, and you're playing a point guard who doesn't shoot it a ton with Dewan Harris. Well, let's fast forward to next year. What you just said, Dewan Harris still there. KJ Adams still there. If Hunter's still <laughs> back, it's the same front court. If he's not, you're playing KJ next to, like, Badunga. So it's still Probably. next to a center, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know that all any of those issues are really that fixed. But the depth could be better next year. Shooting and maybe if, if you just said you have this year's Kansas team with better depth, and maybe a little more shooting. But then again, even if Furphy is really good next year, is he going to be as good as McCuller is this year? You know? Now, we said not. the same thing with McCuller for Jalen Wilson last year, and he was, or yeah. he has been so far. So. But, you know, Furphy's know. not a, a fourth, fifth-year guy coming back. He's no, he's not. Top he's not. So, uh, I think it's an interesting question for sure. Yeah, I think... Yeah. But see, the other thing is, is you go, you you know, if you pick next year, you also have the crutch of saying you don't know what the Bill Self offseason and Bill Self offseason. You can get anything, you know. You can get the Hunter Dickinson of small forwards next year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm Maybe taking next, next year. year. I'm taking next year. 
Yeah. I don't Is that know, your pick? I'll go next year, right. I guess. This one from Seth. You can trade one of KU's players on this team to a player from a previous year's team that did not make a Final Four in trying to help both teams win. So we're oh, trying to find a mutually beneficial trade. We're not just okay. saying, oh, take Frank Mason off that team and add him to this team and it's going to be great. No, that would make that team worse, obviously, right? Yeah. So we got to find something that would be mutually beneficial that would help this team and help a team that did not make the Final Four. Okay. Um... I mean, okay, here's my first thought. Mm-hmm. If you trade DeWan Harris to the 2016-17 team for Frank Mason. I don't think... Mm, that doesn't make the 16-17 team better. Right? Frank Mason won national players. Does it make the them worse, though? Well, I mean, I guess it does make no, them worse. No, I, I think the trade you have to go for... No, but that doesn't work either. I was going to say trade for Devontae Graham. Because I think you could make the I argument too. that this year's team would be better with a scoring guard. I was also thinking, but would that what team you, be better with Frank Dewan as opposed to Frank Devonte? I don't, I don't know. If they would. No, I think, I think you would. I think you'd have to trade Dewan for Frank if you're thinking 2016-17. I think. I, I just don't think 16-17 gets better. And the, the, but do they get significantly worse? Or do they just? Or are they still really good? He was national player of the year. <laughs> he was national player of the year. Now the one <laughs> argument you could have is that if you take <laughs> Frank off that team, Devonte Graham. That's what I'm saying. Is he just one year early on when he was All American? The next year, does that just happen the year before, and then it's fine? What about? I, I don't think you can. Go what about? That uh, I don't think this really helps. See, what if? What, about, what if we do something with the bench? Because I think it's going to be hard so like, to come up with a starter where it doesn't impact one more than the other. Well, I was thinking it's fee for Johnny Furphy. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I feel like that's kind of negligible, negligible a bit. You don't think it really helps out the team? What if you find a team that didn't really need the bench as much and so therefore can take somebody who's more of a long-term player, i.e. El Marco Jackson, and you give them somebody, like I'm trying to, um, what about, what about, is there is there a year, maybe like a, a Brady Morningstar, Connor Tehan year where they came off the bench where you could trade El Marco Jackson to that team and be like, okay, El Marco, you're the future point guard for that team. And they don't need you because they're 9-10 deep. And that team subs back a T-Han or Morningstar to this KU team to come off the bench who can be a good wing defender. And but shooter. again, then, no matter what team you pick, El Marco's not making that other team better. No, that's what I'm saying. Like You, you almost have to do it for a team who they're so deep that it doesn't matter. That they're just like, hey, give us the guy who's going to help us more long term. That they understand that they're basically saying, hey, we know we're going to lose out on, you know, having a bench Connor Tehan here, but we're going to have a possible future All-Big 12 player in a couple years. That could be of interest, maybe. Uh, hmm. Would you trade? There's something you can do with Grady Dick. Here's a, here's a wild one. Okay. This is wild. Hunter Dickinson for Dedrick Lawson. Why? Dedrick Lawson shot 40% from three. That's easy. Hunter Dickinson is shooting. Yeah, I know, but it would just... I don't know, maybe not. I'm just spitballing here. Does that, help? Does, does that really help this team at all? I don't know. I okay, here's, here's one that I want to... Actually, this one I think is, is my favorite one. Hunter Dickinson to the 2016-17 team for Josh Jackson. Hear me out. <laughs> Hear me out. So the 2016-17 team, you are giving them Hunter Dickinson 
with Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Sfima Luke, LeGerald Vick, right? You have Landon Lucas now as your bench center. What, okay. What about what about Perry Ellis and this year's out. team? I, I I want to discuss that next because okay. that's an interesting one too. Um, and now this year's team, you're talking about you just move KJ to the five, and you play Josh Jackson at the four, Jackson at the four, and KJ at the five. You know how athletic of a front court that is. Sure. With yeah. the shooting they have, that would be good. Okay, so you're one KJ Adams. Perry for Perry Ellis. Which year are we talking, Perry Ellis? I'm looking at his. Uh, what year would have been? This 2016 would have been his senior year. 15 I'm looking at his junior year, 2014-15. Okay, so the year they lost to Wichita State. Yes. He had he a very good year still. 39% from, 39% from three, 14 points per game. That might not be a bad one. Seven rebounds per game. It really might not because I I don't know. I guess like he that year's team. He didn't really attempt a lot of threes. Played a lot of. 1.4 threes per game. Is that helping that team enough, though? I do think it helps this team a lot. I mean, KJ's <laughs> been great, but if you have Perry Ellis and Hunter Dickinson as your front court, maybe a little bit of issues defensively. Yeah. But that is, like, the best offensive front court in college basketball. And that'd be a fun team to watch. You pair that with Dewan Harris. I like my Hunter Dickinson for Josh Jackson. I don't... <sighs> That makes me think that this, that this team comes out a little worse, though. Okay. What about... Hmm. Okay, how about this one? I'm looking at... Uh, I'm looking at... Okay. What were you going to say? No, I, I, I've, I've retracted it in my mind. I was going to so say... To go back to your thought process on, like, a Brady huh. Morningstar, 2010-2011, he was... Uh, he, still, he still ended up starting 24 games that season. 41% from three. But who you, I don't, you can't make that trade with a Marco Jackson. No. Okay, is there something you could do with the 2013-14 team? You trade them to Juan Harris because they needed more of a pure point guard. And you trade this team... Andrew Wiggins? There's actually, no way. No, that's the best No, actually, that's the best no way. No, it is. Think about it. Okay. No. Andrew Wiggins makes the only this way you team could objectively make that, better, right? The only way you could think that that's fine is if you're guaranteeing Joel Embiid's healthy the whole season. That's the risk I'm willing to take in that trade. Because otherwise, it. they're way worse. Way worse. No, no. A pairing of Dewan Harris with running pick and rolls with Joel Embiid makes that team better in that in that hypothetical scenario. But that again, he wasn't guard. fully healthy. And defense. I know. I know. But if you add Andrew Wiggins to this team, I don't know who's running point guard, but it might not matter. I mean, you just have all the length of the wings of Wiggins and Furphy and McCuller. I guess McCuller's kind of running point in that situation. Then you got Hunter Dickinson and KJ. That's such an athletic, fun team. That's the one I'm going with. You don't Fine. like it, sure. Well, right. I just don't like because it's, it, it, if he's not, if Joel Embiid's not healthy like he wasn't in that season, then it's it's a horrible, horrible trade. Why? You're losing a guy that scored 17 points per game, and you're giving him a guy that that guess is what? Not he a scored scorer. four in the second round, so it's not hurting them. Dewan probably does better in the tournament. Boom. All right, here's Daylon. No, wrong. So let's assume Furphy plays at the level he has been playing at since being made a starter, which has been ridiculously good. Who off the bench has to take that next step for us to win the Big 12 and make a run in March Madness? Oh, Daylon, this is a great question. Why don't you just ask uh, Mr. Bill Self? Because I don't think he knows the answer either. Uh, I mean, listen. You're looking at basically two guys, Timberlake or Jackson. 
right? Timberlake girl, Marco Jackson. Yeah, McDowell's and never going to carve out the big enough role, we, and Parker Brown has his role. Yeah, and, we, and you, we've kind of flirted with the idea this week on the show of maybe it's not one guy, it's just they both do it, but they do it on inconsistently to where it, it collectively it becomes, you know what I mean? Sure. Where maybe it's Timberlake one night, Jackson next night. So, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very, very tough question, and Bill Self, I can assure you, is in the lab right now trying to figure out the answer to that question. Because on one hand, if Omarco Jackson can get things going, what he brings defensively, which has already been shown, it certainly elevates you there. But I mean, what if Timberlake does suddenly snap into being this shooter that you thought you were going to get to begin with, and he's shooting like 41% the rest of the season from three? Think about the value that that's worth, mm-hmm. right? But do you need that now? Because you talked about it. With Furphy in the starting lineup, the offense is like it's humming. fixed, sort of, quote unquote. No, it, it is. Let me let me try to pull so up. So maybe you the, do uh, want Jackson to be the guy then because then he's you're still getting the that defense. I guess, though, the, my problem with, with the Jackson thing is like, what does that look like? What does uh, Marco Jackson playing well do for this team? You know what I mean? I don't know. I honestly it, don't know. Like, what what aspect, I guess, of his game is helpful Needs to, to this be, yeah. The defense helps a little sure. bit, maybe forcing turnovers. Is it his I mean, ability to get downhill? The the thing is, is like, yeah, that that's that's the point. It's like, in a vacuum, his speed is like, it sounds great. But in what way is it applied effectively that would benefit this team, like you said? Maybe it's it's just the ability to get downhill and score at the rim. Is that what more of the ceiling looks? Because think about Could it. Could be. Dewan's struggling Dewan with layups. Struggling, yeah. Right? I mean, Dewan, that's an area where he certainly is having so a having a guard right. who could just get downhill and finish the rim, I guess that would be really impactful. Could be. And then it would open things up even more for Furphy and, sure. and some of those guys. Possible, yeah. But is that ever going to be possible because of the way teams defend KU when they play KJ next to Hunter? I don't think so. So maybe it is know. just having an extra shooter. In, in which Timberlake. case, then you're back to Timberlake. Uh, by the way, since the Oklahoma game, his first start, KU is 14th in adjusted offensive efficiency on Bart Torvik. It was fifth before the Cincinnati game, which was kind of a clunker for both offenses. So. Yeah, for real. But that's definitely better than where they are now. Yeah. Um, I if I had to pick one, because that that's the way I view it. If I if I have to pick one, I would go with that. El Marco becomes such a dependable backup point guard. Handling the ball, passing the ball, getting downhill. Yeah. That it's not just that he's giving you an impact off the bench. It's that it is he's allowing going- Bill Self to say, hey, I only have to play Dwan 30 minutes tonight. Yeah. And I think that would be such a huge boon to Dwan. Yeah. Allow him to play more aggressively, play better defensively, and, and do I'm, I'm buying very much more into the idea that part of the reason why Dwan is is maybe not playing up, up to what we've seen him in the past is that he's being asked to do so much more and play so much more minutes. I'm yeah. starting to kind of buy into that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you to the questions for our mailbag. Uh, Submit them again. We'll get to it next week as well. Let's get to some Chiefs audio on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to some KU basketball audio with Johnny Furphy and Juan Harris coming up later this hour on the show. Later tonight, we have KU women's basketball taking on Iowa State. Pre-game at 6.15. Tip-off will be at 6.30 right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. We have a Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider Thursday, High School Sports Weekly Thursday, and Mama's Tamale Shop. It'll be happening live 6 to 7, airing from 7 to 8. Then we got high school basketball on Friday with Veritas Christian. 
Saturday, we have your KU men's basketball action. KU women's basketball action will be later in the day. And then Sunday, Westwood One coverage for the AFC and NFC championship games. So a lot to come at you still for the week. Man, that is a lot. That is a lot, and in a good way. All right, uh, yeah. our KU Cincinnati heroes and villains. Jayhawks win 74-69 to on Big Monday a few nights ago. Let's start with the offensive heroes. Who are the offensive heroes for KU? Well, I mean, Johnny Furphy's got to be number one, first and foremost. I mean, he's Superman, Batman, Iron Man, <laughs> Spider-Man. All the mans. Whatever man you want, he's your man. He's your man. I like that. <laughs> 23 points that led the team. He also did it super efficiently. Seven of eight shooting. Yeah. Three of four from three. Yeah. He's his, the obvious answer. His, sure. his offense was timely. It was explosive. He had some big shots when KU needed him. And on top of that, he was doing a lot of other stuff too. But we're focusing on the focusing on the offense specifically here. He was uh he was everything. Superman, Batman, now, Iron Man. Could you make a case for Kevin McCuller under the Easy. guise of like remember in the Dark Knight, it's the the saying from Commissioner Gordon. He says he's the hero Gotham needs, but not the one it deserves right now. Sure, fine, yeah. No, I love the. Dark wait, Knight. no. What did he say? He's the hero Gotham deserves, but, but not, not the, the one, one it needs right now. Yes, yeah, so I always I, confuse yeah. which one goes. You might got it backwards. I don't know. I think I it's Dark Knight in a while. Actually, yeah, I think it's a. He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs That's right now. That's top five movie though, in my opinion. Well, was that the case for Kevin? I, I agree. Fantastic movie. <laughs> uh, was, was that the case for Kevin McCuller? He was. He's the hero that. That the KU deserves, but not the one it needed in that game. Johnny Furphy was the hero in that game. I mean, and in a sense, he was not the one they needed in that game. They still needed him. He but scored they, twenty points. Yes, but also it's like that's part of a no. We're going back to, to think, the Dark Knight lore, he's an a, unthanked hero because a lot of the polit- politicians yeah, are like, no, no we got to get this vigilante. Well, off is the there a is there a superhero that's like sometimes they miss? Sometimes they miss. Like it was an inefficient way of going about it. Yeah. Is this the, this is like the Incredible Hulk where he's going to take down the bad guy, but he's going to break all the cars and everything. buildings around it. Sure. It yeah. took Kevin McCuller 17, 17 shots, shots. Yeah. But he got he it hit, done. Well, and he hit eight, <laughs> in the eight very free end. throw line. You know. Okay. I can get on board with that. So so Kevin McCuller is the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. I guess. I guess so. I don't know. Or would well. Yeah. I don't know, just to that analogy. There's not really any other picks, to be completely honest. Yeah, I, I'm just going to throw a three-point shooting out there. Yeah, okay, that's like going, a team thing. Yeah, 6-14 from three, 42%. That's pretty good. I mean, well, obviously low volume, but... But you know what the, the funny part of that is? Uh, we mentioned Johnny Furphy and Kevin Kohler. If you're boiling down the three-point shooting, KU going 6-14. Furphy and McCuller. Furphy and McCuller were 5-10 of 10 <laughs> for 50%. The rest of the team was 1-4. of four. <laughs> So it really is just those two guys. It was two guys... Oh, that's fine. I was trying to give some... some Give some love to the rest of the team, yeah. and you just shot that down. Well, I mean, if Dewan Harris would have made his layups and not had five turnovers, like if yeah. Dewan would have ended up with three turnovers yeah. and made two of the layups he missed. So he has the potential to be a hero, but... Potential was there. Because then he would have had 12 points, eight rebounds, three turnovers on five of ten. That would have gone good. him in discussion. Oh, but that's pretty instead, good. it's eight points, eight assists, five turnovers, three of ten. So. Yeah. Do you remember when we talked about in the preseason, like... How's KU going to get to 23-point attempts per game? That's how many they tipped last season. The answer is no. <laughs> they're just not going to. <laughs> yes. They're just not going because to. Because they're not. <laughs> Looks like we were right. We were trying to do – we were bending over backwards we trying to, like, calculate like – get there. Calculate how many threes per game every I individual would have if, to take. I would love to go back and listen to that because I remember – we were talking about Timberlake taking, like, five yes, threes a game. we were taking five or six threes a game. <laughs> it's like, he's not going to be out there long enough. He's taking one or two a game, you know? It's just not viable. All right, yeah. uh, defensive heroes for KU. Man, you know, I was thinking about this 
and you look across the board, and all the starters did have a couple steals, really. Yeah. Dickinson had one block, but he didn't really play that much. I mean, I guess, are you, are you willing to put Dewan Harris in that category? Maybe he had two steals. Kevin McCoy had three. Kevin had three. Here, here's the guy that I want to go with. Okay. KJ Adams. So KJ only ended up with one steal compared to all those other guys having like two or three. Sure. But who was KJ primarily on? Victor Locken, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times Cincinnati was playing two four. bigs. They were playing Bandago at the five. So when he was out there, KJ was just matching with the traditional five more. Often, Jamil Reynolds played 11 minutes. I mean, it was it was Lockin was mostly playing the four. And I get it. KU switches, right? There are certain possessions or certain field goal attempts where he shot where somebody else was guarding him. I actually remember yeah. one play where he got it, like, near the lane, and it was one of the guards. It was either a Marco or Dewan ended up being switched on. I mean, like, missed the shot. So it wasn't all KJ. But for the most part, that was KJ's assignment, and that was the guy KJ was mainly on. And Lockin came into the game leading averaging. Yeah, leading them in scoring 13.5 yeah. points per game. He was shooting over 50% from the floor. He went one of six from the floor, one of five from two. He had seven points. Tough. I think that's kind of becoming a theme this year for for KU. Like, KJ Adams is having a big impact in a lot of games defensively. I go back to, like, the Yale game. No, and that's the type of player that he is. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that, when you look at the box score, maybe that doesn't always necessarily reflect the impact he had on the game. Right? Yeah. I don't know who primarily was was the defender on Simus Lukosius. Because that dude's... One of nine, Dunk. but he also like I, I, he was oh six from three. I feel like probably three of them were like open shots that he just missed. That doesn't fit the narrative that he sucks. Well, no, that would fit the narrative. That oh, okay, he's, yeah, he's that missing open ones. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't fit the narrative though that it was like great defense. True, by KU yeah, on him specifically. But I yeah. guess you do get credit for whoever that was. Yeah, uh, whoever was guarding Dan Skillings would not be the answer. <laughs> yeah, no, he was just hot. He was the opposite of Lukosius. He was making like contested shots. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He would have fit into the West Virginia. He's on my list of villains, by the way. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, KJ Adams. will be my final yeah. pick okay. for defense. Yeah. Uh, other. Other? Dude, the crowd when Furphy scores threes, it, it's, it takes two. It's a level. different level? It's a different level. There so. are players who get different reactions from the crowd when they sure. do like the same thing. You think back to like Christy Han, Jank. I mean, just walk-ons in general. Walk-ons yes. in general. But specifically t I mean, let's be honest. Sure. I think, like, a K.J. Adams layup gets a lot bigger reaction than, like, a Dewan Harris layup or, like, a Hunter Dickinson layup, you know? Because <laughs> okay. he has the fist, he's the fist pumping. and it's He like does he get has, it fired you know, right? up, yeah. It's just different. But Furphy from three gets even more. Get the crowd going. Yeah. So that I put that in the other category. Okay. Anything else in the other category? You can't really go with the bench. For heroes? No. Yeah. You could always go with the I, I know you mentioned the crowd in a specific element. You could just go with the crowd as a whole, every home game for KU. Yeah. They're pretty good normally. Cincinnati missing some open shots. Yeah. That could be a a, a hero. A little bit of a hero. Yeah. Um because I mean you got out rebounded. The turnovers right. weren't really that I mean, you forced sixteen turnovers, which is good, but Cincinnati was bad from three, so I guess your perimeter defense. But again, you mentioned how some of them might have been open. Mm-hmm. So how much credit do you want to give the perimeter defense? I guess uh, making them play one-on-one. They only had seven assists. Mm. It's kind of a positive. Yeah. The Meanwhile, Kansas had 17. 
Mm. I don't know. I thought the broadcast was good. It wasn't on ESPN <laughs> Plus. That's another hero. It was on regular ESPN. Didn't have yeah. to worry about ESPN Plus. Yeah. Although I could mention this in villains. I'll Dave Billis now. Kind of being annoying though. Well, I'll just At mention times. this. I don't know. Maybe I was in the minority. I, I posted this on social media. I did have a couple of people respond to me and be like, yes. I also had a couple of people respond to me and be like, you're blind or something. Um, well, right. I noticed in, in like, it was mostly the first half, the like left part of the screen, not the entire left half, but like on one portion of the left part, it was like there was a blur. What? Yeah. I did not notice that. And like whenever player, it was, it was a very slight blur. It wasn't like a fogged mirror. But it was like a slight blur, and it was enough to be a little noticeable. I did have a couple of people who were like, yes, as if like there was a smudge on the camera, and somebody just needed to wipe it off with a rag. I did not notice that. And it wasn't like a huge deal, but it was a little bothersome. Anyway. So that wouldn't be a hero, obviously. No, that would be in villains. That just It just reminded me with the broadcast. There was a lot of villains in this game, I think. There were a lot of villains. You want to start? Can we get to our villains? Yeah. Rebounding. Bench scoring. Rebounding a big one. Bench scoring. You had zero points from the bench until... Literally 20 seconds left in the game. 32 uh, to 2 bench scoring. Yeah. Rebounds was 40 to 29. For yeah, Dan Skillings, personally, filling. Just making everything. Yep. Yep. The word funk, filling. Now, for those that maybe don't have a full story on this, somebody in the post game asked Cincinnati head coach Wes Miller about getting his team out of the quote-unquote funk that they are in. Well, let me tell you, Wes Miller, he took offense to that. Mm-hmm. He was not happy. He went off, said, the word <laughs> funk pisses me off. That's what he said. <laughs> and then he went on to describe what being in a funk means. Mm-hmm. And that that's what his team was. But don't tell him that. Don't tell Wes Miller that. No, it's funny. He was because he he was as he was explaining it. He was like, "Yeah, he, we're not yeah. in a funk. We're just missing some open shots right now." Yeah, exactly. We're there not we're not in a funk. We're just you know we're in the right spot. That the shots just start falling. You know this that and then Wait. and then he spent like thirty seconds talking about why things they're that his not team, in a funk, but they <laughs> but, but, but why they actually are. Yeah, he explained literally what right. a funk is in that yeah. in that in that uh, time period. I sort of get what I, it felt like. He was more mad about the idea that you would say, "Oh, they're losing these games. They're in a funk." When it's like in reality, they're just losing because the Big Twelve is really hard. I think that's Could why be. he was most mad. Sure. But yeah, you're right. When he started explaining it, it was kind of funny because he was basically saying, "Like, if you're missing open shots, that to me is the definition of you are in a bit of a funk." I would tend to agree, but again, don't tell us <laughs> yeah, that. Don't tell us Miller that. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. So uh, he, yeah, the word funk mm-hmm. as a villain. What about, we mentioned this on the show Monday. We, we said, would this happen? They actually mentioned it they on did. the broadcast. They talked about it on the broadcast. Would Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey show up? Yeah. They did not. Yeah. Which, by the way, the broadcast gave the most BS excuse I've ever heard. What did they say again? They, Chris Budden was like, I think it was that was the sideline reporter, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, yeah, uh, basically they got back very late Monday night last night after the Chiefs beat the Bills, and so they didn't want to be as like, okay, sure. First of all, I just love the idea of like Chris Budden, who's you know uh, ESPN reporter, or whatever, right. like trying to call up like Entertainment Tonight and be like, hey, what's your sources saying about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? And then you own a report on that. No, I don't. I don't think they could have got back at a normal time. I agree. It was probably. There's no way. That they were going to show up, they were going to get hounded by people. Uh, I guess yeah, there's not yeah. a, a sweet exactly. situation where they can be secluded. Exactly. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in Chris Budden's report. She mentioned that the Big, the 12, Big 12 tournament, tournament, which I found interesting. You know why? They have suites there. Do they have suites? Yeah, they have boxes. 
Yeah. I thought they just Center? had the uh, Brett Yormark like sequestered seating. <laughs> no, they have they have they have boxes okay. at the at the Big Twelve tournament. So they'll be able to do that if they wanted. I think. Well, I mean, listen, you're you're Taylor Swift. They said Travis she's going to be on like tour though. You're Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. You can get whatever the hell seats. I feel you like want. Kelsey will show up, but Swift won't because she said she whatever. I don't know what her tour schedule is. No, no, you no. think I'm a Swifty? No. Well, I mean, I like Taylor Swift actually. Mm. Her music actually pretty good, but. I don't know her tour schedule. I'm not that I'm not that deep of a Swift, Taylor Swift fan. Uh, I think the other villain would just be, I don't know, KU letting them back into the game when they didn't need to at the end of the game. But yeah. I think overall, I, I do think the number one villain, if we're just picking one, it has to be Wes Miller. Because of the funk thing, and also I forgot about this. He kept calling timeouts. He kept calling timeouts at the end of the game. Which, like, I get it, you know. You don't want you want to go down fighting. Yeah, and you know the thing about it is, is like people always he was say. Booed. People always people say. Were mad. <laughs> but people always say, you know, well, you can't take the timeouts with you, right? So he's calling them, and then people are getting mad at him for calling them. But you can't <laughs> take them with to you. Deposit them. What do you want me to do? Can't take them with you. What if you could do that? What if you could? You get to like the thirtieth game of the season, and Roy Williams has like four hundred. That's timeouts. what I'm saying. <laughs> what if you could roll over? <laughs> Timeouts to the next game. No, that would be so I think, awful. No, what I think it, what would have to be is it would There's have to be a limit of the rollover. No, no, no. It have to be you. They just roll over to one game at a time. You see what I'm saying? So you play a game and you have two timeouts left. Okay. Those two timeouts then roll over to the next game. In the next game, you have two timeouts left again. You don't get four in the next game. You get you just get the two again. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So you only get it only rolls over one time. But what if by rolling over you just keep accruing more and more and more and more and more? Well, again, the idea would be that you... And then come NCAA tournament you time, you're taking them. a timeout after every possession to drop the play every single time. <laughs> well, first of all, if you have to do that, your team is just bad. <laughs> you, should be able to run a, you should be able to run a play. Yeah, like, that would be the, such an advantage play. for Bill Self because they're so good on the like out-of-bounds plays. How long would that game take? It would take five hours, but KU would shoot like 70% because they just score like every time. Just drop every single play. be glorious. <laughs> All right, uh, that's our heroes and villains for the KU Cincinnati game. Let's get some KU audio coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.